lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Happy Monday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd and Aaron McIntyre and all of you. Warning you, a short week in store for you. We are taking our annual spring break later this week, otherwise known as my perennial taking the first couple days of the NCAA tournament off vacation. So uh, we have a three-day week in store for you. We will try to jam-pack as much useless information into it as we possibly can. In the meantime, let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox by emailing the show steve at stevedace.com. You can also like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab, and follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter and Getter and get uh, clips of the show that you can watch free of censorship when you go to rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. If you are watching the news and freaked out about where things are trending, you are correct, which is why you want to check out our friends over at My Patriot Supply right now. They've upped the ante with a three-month emergency food kit. Call that some more Bidenflation for you. It's now a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply, three square meals a day, plus drinks and snacks delivered discreetly to your door for you and everyone in your care. It will stay good for up to 25 years with the proper storage so that you have the peace of mind to know that you have something in reserve should it could never happen here, happen here yet again. And you can get $150 off plus free shipping right now when you order it through preparewithdace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Again, $150 off plus free shipping when you go to preparewithdace.com. All right, coming up on today's program, next hour, Jason Petrell. He is one of the chief researchers for Glenn Beck. He is a former uh, DOD guy. He is going to join us next hour for our Monday town hall. We are going to have a blunt roundtable conversation amongst the four of us on what is happening in Ukraine and what it means moving forward. So we will get into that coming up in the next hour of the show for our Monday Town Hall. Our good friend Bob Vanderplotz will join us at the bottom of this hour. We have a question for him. You know, we've talked pretty glowingly on this show about how far we have successfully moved our state to the right and into the red here in recent years, right? How good of a job our Governor Reynolds has done, right? Right. And how come the elected representatives we have uh, that we're sending to Washington, particularly the two Republican U.S. senators, aren't following that trend? We will get into that conversation at the bottom of the hour when Mr. Vanderplatz joins us. But we begin first, as we always do, with what happened while we were away. recently gave an interview to the Washington Post. He was asked about how the decision was made to pursue mRNA technology for the COVID vaccine. He responded, quote, It was counterintuitive because Pfizer was mustering on the table, had very good experience and expertise with multiple technologies that could give a vaccine, and the Novartis that some of the vaccines are. We were very good in doing that, and plus many other technologies. mRNA was a technology, but we had less experience, only two years working on this, and actually 
Actually, mRNA was a technology that never delivered a single product until that day. Not vaccine, not any other medicine. So it was very counterintuitive, and I was surprised when they suggested it to me. That is the way to go. And I questioned it. And I asked them to justify how you can say something like that, but they came and they were very, very convinced that this was the right way to go. They felt that the two years of work on mRNA since 2018 together with BioNTech to develop the flu vaccine made them believe that the technology is mature and we are at the cusp of delivering a product, end quote. In completely unrelated news, Pfizer CEO Albert Bourla, a veterinarian, told CBS this weekend. So you've seen some of that data on a, on a fourth dose a second booster shot. Mm -hmm. You think it will be necessary? It is necessary, a fourth boost right now. The, the protection that you are getting from the third, it is uh, good enough, actually quite good for hospitalizations and deaths. It's not that good against infections, but doesn't last very long. Burla went on to say. So the question that was number one on my list, and I think for so many parents, is, is when will the vaccine be available for those children five and under? Potentially in May, if it works, FDM will do their utmost to review them fast, so, and we will be ready with manufacturing. In further unrelated news, the director of the Mayo Clinic Vaccine Research Clinic is calling for more studies of adverse reactions to the COVID jab. Dr. Gregory Poland says he developed a persistent ringing in his ear after receiving his COVID jab. Moving on, a new poll from the Trafalgar Group shows 61% of Americans lack confidence that Joe Biden and his administration can prevent the conflict in Ukraine from spilling over into other countries. It's been revealed the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki briefed TikTok influencers on the conflict in Ukraine. During that briefing, Saki claimed Russia hacked the 2016 election. Here's the official narrative on biological research labs, or whatever you want to call them, in Ukraine, courtesy of CBS News's David Martin. A Pentagon official I talked to this morning said there is no movement of chemical weapons into Ukraine. At least they're not seeing the, the signs of it. The concern is that the Russians will seize one of these um, biomedical research facilities that Ukraine has where they do research on deadly pathogens like um, botulism and, and anthrax, seize one of those facilities, weaponize the pathogen, and then blame it on Ukraine and the U.S. because the U.S. has been providing support for some of the research being done in those facilities. And finally, a ride in the Wayback Machine to a couple of years ago in March of 2020. Here's Fox 13 in Memphis, Tennessee. Nobody wants their child to be sick, and don't nobody want to take that virus to their house. Parents with children at Treadwell Middle and elementary schools are not playing around. Many wiped their kids down, and some even sprayed them with disinfectant spray as they took them home Monday. And I wiped my children's backpack down when I got them out of school. Sure did, gave them gloves, sure did. My shoes and came and Two sacks. Another sack. Annie Jones was extra cautious when she went to Treadwell Middle School to pick up her nephew Monday. She found out an employee who works at Treadwell Middle and Elementary School came in contact with a person who tested positive for the coronavirus. They ain't giving us no up to date what's going on. And that's what happened while we were away.
if you're struggling with the receding hairline and hair loss, uh, check out our friends over at Keeps. Uh, they can make it very convenient for you because it's all done online. You don't have to go outside of your house with the trash bag on your face. Um, you can just you can just do it all online and take a few pictures of your hair and show them to a doctor. You don't have to ever risk actually meeting and just do it for you all online. That is if you understand how to get online. I can't help you with that if you don't. Okay, but uh, uh, they'll give you big savings too with using the generic versions. And then they'll give you big savings. Get you started. Half off your first order when you go to keeps.com slash grow. K-E-E-P-S is how it is spelled. You can prevent hair loss, stimulate hair growth. What about brain function? Does it stimulate that? No? Uh, But keeps has you covered with your hair. So maybe you can cover even more of your brain and do us all a favor when you go to uh, keeps.com slash grow. Public school? Anyway, um, moving on. Um, Let's, you know what, before we get into the montage, I always try to be transparent with you guys about where I'm at and where I'm coming from, and I always have from the beginning of the show, because I come to the table with biases too, and I, I want you to filter your reaction and analysis to my reaction and analysis through the filter of what biases do I have, okay? And I I think you need to know the bias that I'm operating from right now. I believe everything they tell us is a lie. And I start from there. I believe everything they tell us is a lie. And I just start from there. I believe we are living in a country that is under direct and acute demonic influence and deception. I think that pretty much every information sector in this country right now that the average person can access with a limited amount of time that they have uh, through any form of a mainstream filter is under direct demonic influence and deception. Have I freaked anybody out yet? No. No? Okay. Uh, And because of that, And because over the last 24 months, the government of this country, not my government, I just happen to be living here, uh, the government of this country has shown me over the last 24 months, in particular over the last, say, 15, but started before that. It just got worse. But over the last 24 months, this government has shown me it doesn't consider me to be an actual citizen, has made it abundantly clear to me that it would violate each and every one of my God-given rights if permitted to do so with no shame or remorse. And speaking of shame, shamelessly blames people like me for its own and obvious failures. I have no interest in promoting the interests of such a government. And if I didn't share a landmass with it, we wouldn't even think this was 
worthy of discussing. The only difference between Vladimir Putin and our Western elites is how far each of them believe they are free to go in public in order to impose their will on regular people. That's the only difference. Putin doesn't have to worry whatsoever about any form of nationalistic election geopolitical blowback within his own ecosystem so he can just do whatever he wants. Over the last 24 months, I believe our elites have proven that they would indeed like the same privileges. They just don't quite have them yet. But they're totally fine killing how many people by denying them early treatment that was effective and would have saved their lives for this virus. Well, that after they created the virus, of course. Uh, and then, of course, came up with a jab that doesn't work and we're now learning is poison. And maybe the fact that one of the mucky mucks over at Mayo is an adverse side effect. Maybe we can start telling the truth about this now. So I'm not here to promote the interests of this government. It's not my government. I just share a landmass with it. It considers me a foreigner and people like me one and I've gotten your message. I no longer believe these are just crazy, crazed political talking points. First two things I saw in my feed on Twitter when I got up this morning, gentlemen, two videos back to back in my feed. One of them, a woman who just holds up a sign in what used to be known as Red Square there in Moscow. She just holds up an anti-Putin sign, doesn't say anything. She just holds up a sign and immediately she is descended upon by a battalion of black clad Putin stormtroopers to silence her. Very next tweet is someone I do not know who shows up at a please castrate the children rally yesterday where everybody who attended should have been put in prison right away. Should have been arrested right, right on site. Thank you for outing yourself. You get a cell and you get a cell and you get a cell and we're to reenact the indictment scene from the dark night here on Monday. That's what should have happened. He shows up to ask critical questions. And then what happens when he starts daring to defy their narrative here in the United States? That mob descends on him every bit as fast and in the same fashion as what Putin's stormtroopers were doing. Here's the difference, though. Putin is at least honest about it. How many of those people at the castrate the children rally do you think, Todd, have Ukrainian flags uh, in their bios on social media or as their avatars? Quick, I'll answer it for you. All of them. All of them do. All of them. Every last one. Because self-awareness is dead. Because if there's one thing that cults never have, other than critical thinking, they don't have that either, it's self-awareness. So no. I remember years ago, remember when Rush got in trouble when Obama got elected and said that he hoped that he failed? Yes. Remember that? <clears throat> I mean, I, re I, re I know why he said it. God bless him, I would have said it differently. I just would have said, I, I know that he'll fail. Because these policies cannot work in, a, in the real world. They violate every one of the laws of nature and nature's God. I'd have, I'd have taken it beyond hoping. I'd have just, they cannot work. They will fail. And they did. They, they failed. They cannot work. 
No scheme of man prevails against God. They, they were never going to work. They were never going to work. They could not work. They violated every law of nature and nature's God. They could not work. And the same thing will happen here. They will fail. It's just a matter of the cost that all of us are going to pay for it. So no, I'm not your fellow American. No, I have no obligation on any level to support your interests. Your interests are not aligned with mine. In fact, they're in direct opposition to mine. And I understand wanting to stop a country that is run by someone who believes that your access to high society, polite society, um, your ability to enjoy any rights or privileges requires you to affirm the narrative of the government first. But before I complain about Putin, I have to do something about the government that exists here that does all the exact same things. So this is my benchmark. This is where I'm at right now. I am a dissident. I'm part of an insurgency. And I prayed about it. And I feel real good about where I'm at right now, actually. Thoughts? Crazy voices in the head. Uh, you have held on tight with both fists and you're going for the ride. I, I, I don't think there's any way to do otherwise uh, these days, particularly since, and perhaps you'll get into it, into the montage, but I, I, I know right out of the gate, we're talking about the vet, uh, veterinarian uh, doctor there who's running uh, the big pharma company. But honestly, he, he's not the problem. He's a problem, but the problem is the woman hosting Face the Nation across from him, who is legion, whether they're reporters or not, who's like, I, I still, after two years of this, and this speaks exactly to what Steve is talking about. If still, when can my one through five year old finally get the jab? Please give them the jab. I know they're fine. But give them the jab. Uh, you, you, you must understand you're dealing with cult members who are, what's the um, functional alcoholics? Thing? They, this, mm-hmm. this is where instead of the cultists, you know, being in black pajamas and just dealing with their own little orb. Now we have functional cult members. They're, they're in the open running everything. So, of course, Steve is right. And it's not remotely hyperbolic. You must do what you can, where you can, whenever you can, to stand in direct opposition to that. Not only in belief, but in the doing. The cover of that book. You must do it right now. It is not good enough to have clever, snarky slogans about where you stand. What are you prepared to do? 
With increasing frequency, I'm having these moments where I look back at conversations we had four, five, six years ago, where we talked about something maybe I thought was edgy at the time, and maybe was edgy, or at the very least original at the time. Four or five years ago, I don't know, original or edgy, somewhere in between there, this concept that we need to divorce ourselves from the idea of America as a hunk of land between two oceans and hold on, hold fast to America, the idea. The point being that we're so mired in nostalgia that we can't see the forest through the trees. We can't really see that Voldemort is is back. We can't really come to grips or admit to ourselves that the institutions are corrupted because we're holding on to nostalgia, that America is merely just a hunk of land between two oceans. Boy, I'd love to, I'd love to worry about that now because I'm, 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 I'm where in, in varying degrees, all three of us, or maybe, maybe not are where Steve is right now. That's a far cry from, I don't belong to this country. It's, I'm, I'm a dissident. I'm an insurgent. Love to have those conversations because we're really coming full circle here. On so many things. Did you hear what Albert Borla said? Maybe he's it's because preparing his just English, following orders at the Nuremberg Tribunal. Maybe speech. it's because yeah. English is his second language, and that could be. It could be. One of the things that he said in there, and this is as close to a direct quote as I can get, just off the top of my head, he said, "The vaccine doesn't protect against infection that well, but it doesn't last very long." That's his pitch for the fourth booster. Right after or right before. Yeah, well, we'll, we're saying we'll we'll, we'll have vaccines for your five-year-old. You can jab up your five-year-old. And there are people who are like, yeah, give me me the vaccines for my five-year-old. Can we do it on three-year-olds yet? Can we vaccinate or can we jab unborn babies if we're not aborting them? And then you see from two years ago that video of, of the dad at, at, at school picking up his son, spraying him with disinfectant. I, I just... Coming full circle. Um, you can't share a country. I was just going to say that. can't share a country with these people. They're just... They've lost their minds. Their foolish hearts were darkened, one might say. Hmm. That is very well said. I mean, that to me looked like a trial run for what horse doc, Pfizer horse doctor plans on saying next year when he's subpoenaed by uh, our buddy uh, Chip Roy or Rand Paul or Ron Johnson in, by the, in the U.S. Congress under oath. That looks like a test run. That looks like a, 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 a trial balloon. Hey, man, I ain't the one. And I'm just the CEO of a publicly traded company, which looks like it doesn't want to be publicly traded anymore. Huh? It's kind of weird, isn't it? Suddenly, yeah, they lost about, what, 15, 16% of their stock price over the last couple of months, stock value. Now suddenly it looks like they might be delisted and not, and they might go private. Hmm. That wouldn't have anything to do with the possibility that you were already given indemnity by the Trump administration and now you just... Um, 
you take yourself away from the accountability of shareholders, which are prone to react to public reaction, right? Mm -hmm. You take that away so that next year when you're hauled in there under subpoena and it doesn't go well, there's really no way to come at you. You're indemnified and now, you know, we can't mess with your, your share price. I don't know, just spitballing, just spitballing, just throwing some stuff out there. Okay. Um, I mean, they stole an election. Just stole it. And then held criminal tribunals without bail for people. I'm sure there were people on January 6th who acted out that deserved to go to prison. But I mean, they have hauled in their people who didn't even do anything. And they're still looking for them. And they're still looking for them. Meanwhile, they tell... They're still holding on to the uh, Russia hacked the 2016 election. You, you cannot share a country with people that are with, with, with this level of demonic deception. You cannot. And it's not going to share one with us. That's very obvious. It is not going to share one with us. So no, I'm I'm not interested in promoting its interest on any level. I I I don't think its interests are aligned with mine. I don't believe its narratives or anything at all. I have no rooting interest in a proxy war in Ukraine between our pagan demonic government and Vladimir Putin's. My son isn't dying in your World War Three for your warring demonologies. He is not. And neither should any of yours. That's why to me, the best thing to do is whatever it would take to make it stop, just make the suffering stop as soon as absolutely possible. But no, we have to promote a corruptocrat named Zelensky as your new Fauci first, who's doing videos in front of what looks like green screens to me with fans. All right. Uh, that your, your fake news, corporate hack media can self-pleasure to so we have to so just more people will die that sounds familiar doesn't it a little bit the, the elites here in the west tripling quadrupling down on solutions to a major problem that don't work but rather than admit their failure they hide their shame by causing even more needless suffering have we seen any other examples of that over the last 24 months that you can think of other than everything other than everything other than everything, can you think of any examples other than literally everything? That's my point about this weekend on Face the Nation. It's just invincible ignorance. They, they simply will not relinquish the narrative. I don't know where we go from here. But I know without... Revival, it will be some form of bust. I, I just, I know that. Without revival, it will be some form of bust. We cannot fix this level of deception. This acute level of deception. We, we, we cannot fix it by voting. 
doesn't mean it doesn't play a role, but I mean, we're, 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 we're talking about stopping someone with a, with a chest wound from a, from a point blank buckshot from stopping the bleeding uh, and doing triage but the bullet, the slug is still in there. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, and he's one breath away from it penetrating his heart. You know what I mean? I mean, there, the, I, I, this won't be fixed by anything other than revival. I mean, you are, we are, we are watching literal darkness play out here. And that's where you get the flaunting of evil, the destruction of innocence, the lack of any shame or self-awareness or anything whatsoever. We are totally depraved as humans, but we are not utterly depraved, meaning that we cannot save ourselves, but still within ourselves is an imago day, an ability to actually still do acts of virtue and valor and kindness, which is why even within pagan societies, we can still point to certain heroic acts or moments or individuals or leaders, right? Because they carry the Imago Day as well. What you're looking at here is utter depravity. Total darkness is what you're looking at. And it's only going to get darker without revival. More in a moment. Make sure you never know when your home's title can be vulnerable to hackers and scammers because our deeds are the only thing that we have anymore that proves that we own our own homes. And a lot of them are kept online, which makes them vulnerable to hackers and scammers out there. It is called home title fraud. And unfortunately, your mortgage lender nor your bank or your homeowner's insurance can protect you. But this is all our friends over at Home Title Lock do is protect individuals like you and your most valuable asset. And right now, if you want to give them a shot, you can go there to HomeTitleLock.com, enter your address to see if anybody has already attempted to tamper with your home's title. Uh, And then while you're there, you can learn more and take advantage of the offer code radio. When you go to HomeTitleLock.com, again, that's the offer code radio at HomeTitleLock.com. Let's bring in our good friend, Bob Vanderplotz from The Family Leader. How are you, sir? Hawks. We're doing really good. Representing, I see, after the big win uh, yesterday for Iowa. Well, you wear Michigan all the time, and so I thought when I have an opportunity to wear the Hawks, I should wear the Hawks. Uh, those guys are playing well, guys. They do, and I mean, it's you don't really have an opportunity uh, in the month of March to wear anything Iowa basketball-related when it comes to winning championships very often, so I don't... <laughs> Ding. I, I, yeah, I don't I don't fault you for taking full advantage of it and indulging it in it whatsoever. But the women's basketball program, the men's basketball program, both Big Ten champs uh, go Hawks. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we have talked pretty affirmatively, maybe even to the point of borderline obnoxious if you live in one of these pretend red states over the last couple of years on this show about how... Further to the right, we have moved Iowa, which was a notoriously purple state. Sure. Prior to Trump, I think Republicans had won it one time in a presidential election since Reagan's 84 landslide, if I recall. I think that was 04. I think Bush narrowly won here. 
Um, and, and so in the last several years, we have moved as a state demonstrably to the right. Mm-hmm. And we've also seen how our governor has exceeded Governor Reynolds. She's exceeded pretty much everybody's expectations from from a conservative perspective. That's why how, she's on a national stage. Absolutely. And she she deserves all of that. Right. And so I got to thinking today that with what's going on on the ground has clearly tectonically shifted to the right. Fair? Without question. All right. And up top, and and I think Trump does deserve some credit for that. All right. This movement, we were already in the process of that movement on the ground here before he showed up, but we also cannot ignore that the guy took 30 counties of our, that Barack Obama won twice and won them twice himself. So yeah. he, he put, clearly put has put done some of that work it. into it. You too. Bet he did. So he's been a contributing factor here. He, you know, we already had that momentum, but he certainly gave it a decent push. And then Governor Reynolds has come along and she's kind of come off, off the top rope, right? Fair? All right. So I know there are some projections. So when I took over on the the big state media platform back in 2007 I think it was right after the uh, right before no it was 06 before the 06 election after that election democrat there were only what I think 16 republicans or 17 in the state senate all right so just to and give Gronstall you, was a figure there matter of fact Gronstall was a longtime leading democrat right. senator nobody thought he could be beat Correct. And always he'd be in control. So we're talking now, it's been 15 years of all this work we've put into this. And I'm hearing projections now that after this election, Democrats might be down to like, say, 16 senators in the state Senate. I think we have a chance to have 34 seats in the Iowa Senate. And why that's important is anybody Kim Reynolds nominates to fill a mm-hmm. board of regents they role, commission yeah. role, the Democrats can't stop right. that her appointments anymore. So it's a big deal. So isn't it fair then to say, given all of that, we should be seeing those that we send to Washington, D.C. on our behalf should be moving alongside what's happening on the ground, right? I would think. And then what's happening at the top with the governor, right? I would think if anybody's reading the tea leaves in regards to how did Trump win and win decisively in a toss-up state like Iowa, Mm -hmm. How is Governor Reynolds, who never thought she would be governor, never wanted to be governor, also finds herself being governor and going, I'm going to lead while I'm governor. Maybe on a short list to be Trump's running mate here in a year and a half. And to see the grassroots applauding all this and seeing, I mean, there's no candidate really running against Kim Reynolds. I think if you're reading the tea leaves at all, you're saying... This is the environment to be bold and conservative. No more, what, what did Ronald Reagan say? No more pale pastels. No more pale pastels. So we have brought back, or updated maybe is a better way of putting it, our Liberty Score uh, with uh, Conservative Review, which is part of our umbrella here at Blaze Media. Now, we haven't talked about this in depth on the show in a while, so just a quick refresher. The way that the Liberty Score works, we don't weight certain issues uh, from the right ahead of others like for example you guys are a pro-family organization yeah pro-life so, or, yep. and, and so you would you, there are certain issues it doesn't it doesn't mean you guys don't care about other issues but there are issues that are your priority that would ha- carry more weight for you you bet right or if i am gun owners of america or the nra same exact thing doesn't mean we don't have an issue a position or care a lot about these other issues but there are things that are our priority that we would weigh Higher. We don't do that with the Liberty Score. What the Liberty Score does is it takes the last 50 votes you have taken on anything that we deem to be important. And that could even just be a vote on a quorum. 
right? Because a lot of times they'll take these procedural votes and say, well, I didn't vote for that because it never came up, but you voted against the possibility it would have allowed it to come up or voted for the possibility that allowed it to come up and then voted against it, right? We even include procedural votes. There is nowhere to hide, all right? And we just keep updating this based on your last 50 votes mm-hmm. so that it follows wh- what your current trajectory arc is and not just a singular snapshot in time. Fair? Makes sense. Okay. Here is where we are for the Republican elected officials that we have sent to uh, Washington, D.C. from the state of Iowa. All right. Now, I have a tendency to not look at anybody's score until they've been in for uh, at least two years. Okay, but here is uh, new Congresswoman Ashley Hinson. She is at 85 percent right now. All right. In the middle of or towards the end of her first term. Would it tell us about her district? Because that's part of it, too. Okay, what's the what's the demographics of your district? Are you are you exceeding those demographics or meeting them? Because let's also be honest, it's an 85 percent doesn't mean as much in rural Alabama or in Mississippi (laughs) as it may mean in other places. It might be more impressive. Right. So you're the former, you know, educator. Let's grade her within the context of her district. Is that a good enough score? Frankly, when I saw 85% with Ashley Henson, I was very, very pleased. Okay. Uh, one is that's Northeast Iowa. Uh, it's a very much a toss-up district. Mm-hmm. Um, frankly, uh, she has tough competition all the time. When I saw that score, I thought she's reading the tea leaves. Okay. She's taking the tea leaves of Governor Reynolds and saying, I'm going to be bold. I'm going to be conservative. I'm going to be courageous. I think the voters will uh, allow me to come back if I do that. I think she's also reading a little bit what Trump has done there. I think uh, her district probably went more for Trump Mm -hmm. than others before. And so I think Ashley Henson, um, matter of fact, there's some people that you want to see go to Congress and you're cheering them on. There's others are like, okay, I hope she wins, but I wonder how she's going to do. Right. That's a a good score for Ashley Henson. Because I think that's important is the demographics we're dealing with of who you're representing here. All right. Next one. Let's take a look at this. Now, here's our Senator Charles Grassley. He is currently sitting at a 58% F. How is that justifiable on any level whatsoever? You know, I don't think it is. As a matter of fact, when I looked at him, and I know we're going to go to Ernst as well. And obviously, I haven't talked to them, haven't, you know, dove deep into this. But my guess is what you're reading here is Mitch McConnell's leadership. And people are buying into Mitch McConnell's leadership. And basically, it's not about being bold and courageous. It's about, well, what can we get done? What can we stop? Well, what can we do? Whatever. And it's just kind of this, you're always maneuvering around the edges. And that's what gets you grades like that. And I'm thinking, if you're Senator Grassley, and obviously he's up for re-election, and and he's probably going to win. He'll win the primary, but then my guess is he will win the general as well. He won't get 60%, but he'll win big. But my guess is... That they're buying into McConnell's leadership versus into what they're seeing on the gra- on the ground grassroots wise, but if they want to win the U.S. Senate. I think they need to have bold and courageous leadership out of the U.S. Senate. I don't think this is representing Iowa right now. Fifty eight percent. Should anybody ever be in a federal office for forty one years? No, I, I I just don't think so. I think there's there's no doubt there should be term limits. And a lot of people say that uh, we have term limits. They're called elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what I'll say about Senator Grassley, and just for the record and to your audience, I did endorse him uh, earlier on. I think it was about a month ago. Senator Grassley has always come back home. He has not stayed in D.C. He has always stayed where his grassroots are. 
this score, quite frankly, surprises me a little bit. He's the one who's calling out the military for excessive spending. He's the one who's calling out, you know, uh, fraud in government, those types of things. He's been, he's the one who stopped Gorsuch from being, not Gorsuch, uh, who am I thinking about the attorney general now? Oh, Garland. Uh, He stopped Garland from being the Supreme Court justice. That took a lot of kahunas in order to do that at that point. So quite frankly, Grassley surprises me. When I read that, I saw McConnell's leadership. Okay, next. Senator Ernst is really at 64. She's at 64%. That's a D. Yeah. And again, it surprised me because, first of all, her and Kim Reynolds come out of the same cloth. Uh, they both were county officials. Uh, they both were in the state Senate. Um, although Joni Ernst ran for U.S. Senate, I don't think it was always her idea to go, I need to be a U.S. Senator. But now she's a U.S. Senator. She's the one, if you remember the ad, which I know you do, make them squeal. Mm-hmm. 64% is not making them squeal. But again, I think I think what the American people want today is they want bold leadership. And they want bold conservative leadership. And again, 64%, she's in leadership if you'll recall right away, McConnell and Thune and others put her right away in leadership because she's the one who got them the majority in the Senate. Uh, I think she's playing too close to the vest, maybe with Mitch McConnell. So are you saying that if there were, how do I put this? There are, you're, you're basically saying they're followers in a way. That if there were better leadership, you think they would follow that tide, but- in the end, it's about conforming to a culture in Washington, D.C., so they're followers. Yeah, and I think it's also a thing that we've heard plenty of times, Senate decorum. This is how we operate. We don't break these traditions. We don't break these rules. You don't want to be one of those bomb throwers. You mm-hmm. know, That's reserved for the House. Well, when that happens, you get scores like this. Now, the other part of it is, I mean, you, you, you asked me about it. What made Governor Abbott a better governor of Texas yeah, primaried. He got he got legitimately yeah. primaried. Yeah. And right now neither one of them, Grassley nor Ernst, are facing a significant primary, you know, and so they don't have to. Uh but I think uh, for me, Ernst, matter of fact, I, I was just I just um uh, communicated with her on a bill that she was she was all for when it came to women's violence. And I get her passion for women's violence. And it's a it's a terrible thing. But the stuff that they were putting in the bill was equally as terrible in regards to sexual orientation, transgender, all, all the other stuff. And so that's the thing that happens in D.C. And you guys know that they just dump on bills and dump on bills. It's kind of like, what's well, the best I can get? So I'll go for it. And you get scores like this. Now, just to show that this is an overall cultural problem, South Carolina is a state that most people would say is a lot redder than Iowa, sure. one, of the, one of the reddest states in the union. Here are the current liberty scores of its two senators. Uh, Lindsey Graham is 43%. Shocker. And Tim Scott is at 65 Virtually the same thing. Yep. One is an F and one is a D. Virtually the exact same thing. Um, and my guess is if you would ask your audience about Tim Scott in particular, they would have given him a he's higher. much higher yeah. rating yeah, than 65. Let's, how about, let's, you know, so if you look at. Um, Where's Ted Cruz at? Uh, we'll go to Texas next if you want to do that. Let's look at just the senators here. 
So John Cornyn is at 46%. Cruz has dropped to 82%. 82. But to the, me, that's a bad score for Ted Cruz. Yeah, a, the, a senator from Texas should not have an 82 in Texas is not the same as an 82 in, say, Minnesota. And I think my guess is if, if we had them on the show and we were talking about their scores, whether it be Cruz or Tim Scott or Joni Ernst in particular, or you throw in Graham and Grassley as well, my guess is they'd say this is also a reflection of a divided Senate. We need to get some things done, which means we're into the art of compromise right now, not into the art of leadership. There's West that Virginia, West Virginia, where a Democrat candidate for president hasn't won a single precinct since 2008. Joe Manchin is at 16 percent. Uh, Shelley Capito is at 41 percent. I mean, this is true. This is systemic everywhere. You go to you Alabama. Bet. Richard Shelby, he's at he's retiring. He's at fifty three percent. If you go to Mississippi, if that may be the reddest state in the union. Both of its senators, Cindy Hyde Smith, fifty percent. Roger Wicker, forty six percent. Both of them F's. So both so of them are. What's interesting about that, Steve, is that I get invited to be on a lot of national calls, and when I'm on these national calls, it is hee haws, doomsday. You know, if I had any luck, it'd be bad luck. All that stuff. They're singing the song, and the reason their focus is on D.C. all the time, and they're in D.C. and they're seeing stuff like this. Okay, and I remind them of what's happening in the states. You know, what's happening with Governor Reynolds? What's happening with our state senator? What's happening or our state senate in our in our Iowa House? But then the other Daniel impact states, too, where we're really taking ground. I mean, you take a look at what's happening in Texas in regards to the heartbeat bill and all those. There's a lot of good stuff happening. But D.C. was never intended for our hope. It's always been the states and beyond that, the local church engaging with the states one last we got about a minute here you bet. one last uh, member of congress to look at all right and this was oh two of them marionette miller meeks is in an 85 I tell you what that's good for now remember no. she won by six votes that's extremely good for her let's see if she holds on to that in a majority but you she know can't what? just say he, no to he, stuff but here's the deal though with uh with miller meeks okay at 85 percent, she's going to be up for re-election yep and she's going to be in a tough race again yep so that is a good score for her. You bet. I agree. All right. And then for Andy Feenstra in the reddest district in the state at 92%. I mean, that's good. You know, I mean, I don't know why you would be like almost at 100 in why, that district. Uh, yeah. You can literally take any right wing position you want uh, in that district and, yeah. and be untouchable. And frankly, uh, <laughs> you may laugh at this. I was also pleased with Randy's score at 92%. Because when you showed me those scores, uh, I got behind Randy Feenstra in the primary against Steve King. He won. He's been there. I think for from what I can tell and what I can read, he's been pretty solid for that district. All right. 20 seconds. You want to put a final spin on what we just talked about? Your hope is in the states. And I've been telling people all over the place, if you want revival in this country, you revive your state first. And where revival begins is in the house of the Lord. All right, we'll come back. Hour two, a roundtable conversation on Ukraine. Stay tuned. Back with hour two, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. Steve Dace here with Todd Erzin, Aaron McIntyre, Jason Butchell from uh, the Glenn Beck Empire, I guess we want to call it. He'll be joining us here in just a moment. Let us know what you think about what we think, although I guess we're kind of a part of that thing now too, right? All right. 
I was told. Yeah. Uh, let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox, which you can take advantage of by emailing the show. Steve at stevedace.com. D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, and Gab. You can also follow me at Steve Day Show on Twitter and Getter, and you can uh, get her some clips of the show for free that are free of censorship when you go to rumble.com slash Steve Day Show as well. If you are a podcast listener... We love you so much. You're a big part of our show's continued growth. Please, if you've yet to do this, uh, consider leaving us a five-star review. If you like us, all right? Now, if you don't like the show, we'd never ask you to lie. But if you kind of like the show, dang Skippy, we'd ask you to totally exaggerate and embellish. So if you're like, oh, maybe at a two or a three-star, just go ahead and bump that puppy up to five and we'll call it even. Thank you. Uh, and then hit the subscribe or follow button. I have no idea what these things do. Uh, I, I don't believe that they help us with any algorithms or anything whatsoever. Um, I don't, even though I'm told this by people whose opinions I respect, I just think they're naive. Um, but I know that it feeds my ego, and I certainly know that our overlords at the Blaze likes it. So do it to satiate some fragile male egos, if for no other reason, right? Indeed. Indeed. And we appreciate each and every one of you that have done so in order to soothe our fragile male egos. Thank you. Uh, you know, using the internet without ExpressVPN is like leaving your laptop exposed at the coffee shop while you run to the bathroom. Most of the time, eh, you're probably fine. But what if that one time you come out of the bathroom and your laptop is gone? Well, then you'd be Hunter Biden. But don't let that also be you, all right? Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, cafes, hotels, airports, any hacker on that same network can gain access to your personal data, like passwords, financial details, etc. That's why you want to use the encryption offered by ExpressVPN. In fact, they've got an encrypted tunnel that creates a secure connection between your device and the internet that hackers cannot steal your sensitive data. It's so easy to hook up uh, that I can do it. I've got it on all my devices. Uh, you hook it up in just a few minutes. <clears throat> and if you are suffering under a dictatorship in Russia, and as a result of uh, not uh, agreeing to uh, run out in front of one of Putin's tanks uh, in, in a needless attempt to stop him from invading Ukraine, and because you're not willing to be run over by Putin's tanks, you have been denied Disney+, Plus, Netflix, and everything else, the good news is if you have something like ExpressVPN, you just change whatever location you're coming in from the internet, and you end up with probably an even more expansive Netflix uh, catalog than those of us who are not facing Putin's tanks uh, are able to access. All with our friends over at expressvpn uh, check them out today find out how you can get an extra three months for free when you go to expressvpn.com slash steve that's expressvpn.com slash steve so let's welcome jason to the conversation here for our monday town hall it's good to have you on the show jason we are it's been too long to have done this for the first time brother how are you for real, doing great. Thanks for having me, Steve. Appreciate it. For those of us, uh, for those who don't know, which probably will be a very small amount, but remind people kind of your background when it comes to defense, foreign policy, et cetera. Um, I was in the United States Marine Corps. I was actually in uh, during the invasion right after 9-11, so one of the first boots on the ground. Um, but I was an intelligence analyst. I did that for my entire time there, and I've kind of kept that up ever since, really, in the private sector. And now you do some of that intelligence analyzing for, for Glenn Beck. Yeah. Which is why we wanted to add to and have your expertise added to what we're doing here. So I want us to have a, a completely blunt conversation about what is and isn't happening in Ukraine and what it does and what it doesn't mean. 
let me start by kind of laying out my own frame of mind here. And then I'm going to get your response and everybody else's and we'll pick up the conversation from there. Okay. So in, in my view right now, what we're seeing is, is to me, I think the West right now looks to me, and, and this may be the only time that anybody ever attempts to cite the 2019 film, The Circle, uh, in an affirmative intellectual context, all right? But the West, to me, right now, looks like uh, there's a scene where Emma Watts's character in that film, uh, she attempts to get their lemming social media followers to share a hashtag in order to show their disgust for a tyrant as if it'll make some kind of a difference. I mean, I don't, maybe the, you know what, the greatest generation didn't have to hop on those boats, didn't have to storm any beaches. They could have just virtue signaled and Hitler would have been appalled at the ratio and shut the whole thing down. All right. Uh, Putin, folks, I believe, invaded Ukraine because of our weakness such as this, because he watched us elect a dithering dementia patient or select. Uh, he then watched the entire West destroy its way of life and enslave its people over a virus with a 0.5% IFR that I think the West probably helped create. And... Then over a jab that doesn't even stop you from getting that virus, they even doubled down on the tyranny as a result of that. I think because of all those things, he then made a calculation. In spite of how overrated his own military prowess has shown to be over the last 20 days, he made a calculation that his bluff wouldn't be called by anything meaningful, and he was right. A similar calculation that Hitler made when he violated Versailles. And he sent 20,000 troops, basically the only 20,000 troops he had at the time that were any good. He sent them into the Rhineland to test the resolve of the allies. He called a bluff and he called it correctly. There are two ways to, to defeat such megalomaniacs. Uh, you do it, uh, when, especially when they have armies and dominionist visions like a Putin does. One is you have to do it head on on the battlefield. The other is by so strengthening your own country's military and socioeconomic presence in the world that you first force that dominionist wannabe into containment and then eventually collapse. We don't, I believe, have the capability to do the former without a nuclear exchange. And I also don't believe that Ukraine is worth that level of carnage and death. And I think few things in the world, frankly, are. And I also question what is the true tactical strength of our own military, which right now, at least politically, resembles a bonus scene from idiocracy. It has gone woke and therefore beyond broke. Nor do I think we can we emulate the Reagan 80s of amassing and projecting peace through strength as a deterrent in order to force containment and then collapse. For our elites hate our way of life and traditions and common people every bit as much as our enemies do. In fact, they have created a government more similar to Putin's than our own Declaration of Independence. Rights no longer come from God, and you get access to those rights or privileges or high society based on your compliance to the state and its narratives promoted by its preferred platforms. At this point, the only difference, I believe, between a Putin and our elites is how far each are willing to go in public to impose their will on their own people, which means we are now stuck in this no man's land which means even more Ukrainian people will die slash be displaced and Russians already suffering under a brutal dictator will suffer all the more under Western sanctions and shunning for the West won't acknowledge. There's nothing that it can really do that. It's really ready and willing to do to stop this. So we'll try this middle way of hashtags and sanctions that don't really mean much to Putin, but also blow back on us at the same time. Have you been to the gas pump lately? For example of that, because folks, there are 
no such things as lukewarm hells. Ukraine, to some degree, was lost the minute Putin called the bluff. It's just a matter of how many innocent Ukrainians our elites are willing to let die in a vain resistance to cover their shame, just like they pushed the jabs even more. Once it became obvious the efficacy waned, they tripled down on the mandates rather than admit a mistake. And Putin is fine letting the Russian people suffer under our sanctions. It gives him a scapegoat. And he can even use them to rally the motherland to his side. Stalin did this during World War II. We are more likely to stoke nationalistic fervor within Russia with this approach, not anti-Putin dissent. It was forcing them to perestroika that collapsed the USSR, not sanctions and global shunning. Shunning is not the same as containment. That's just more darkness. Dark times dark equals more dark. The only antidote to dark is light, which is why in the Reagan era, we tried to get our way of life into the USSR. That's what we were trying to do. We were trying to penetrate the Iron Curtain. Shunnings create an access of powers like what Putin and China are doing now. Openness is what gives the people there a taste of freedom and then has them demanding even more of it. But by having our corporate and pop culture corporatists impose the harshest penalties upon the Russian people, just as we had them impose on the American people with the jab mandates, we are ironically removing the Russian people's access to any message that might propel them to rise up. Now the only message they get is Putin's. Facebook just announced they're demonetizing all, their, all the Russian channels. Brilliant. So now the only messaging they'll get is Vladimir Putin's. That's just absolutely brilliant. But this isn't really, folks, really about defeating Russia and saving Ukraine. Otherwise, we'd be urging negotiations and strengthening Ukraine's hand there to preserve life while getting serious again about preserving our own way of life. This is really about preserving another agenda, just as it was never really about health with all the same people making all the same decisions and causing all the same needless suffering. So that's sort of my big picture view. But Jason, you are the subject matter expert here, which is why we wanted to have you on. Feel free to question, comment, and insult. The floor is yours. <laughs> uh I, I was going to applaud, but I didn't want to. Uh, I didn't want to interrupt your monologue there. I, I, I completely agree on pretty much everything. Um, man, where to even start? Uh, what you were talking about with the sanctions against the Russian people—that completely goes against. I mean, decades, a uh, hundred years of how we've employed sanctions. And when you said that there's another agenda here, you are spot on correct on that. Um, this is about something much larger. And I think this takes us into a much deeper discussion about what Putin is actually fighting in this war and how we're responding. But I mean, shutting down Mickey D's uh, in, in Russia, who does that hurt? I mean, because we've always, uh, you know, directed sanctions against a country, the government, their war making capability. But that's not what's happening here. I mean, we didn't, we've never seen this before. We never saw this after 9-11. Um, we never saw this during the Cold War, as you, as you pointed out. So why are we seeing it now? And right now, I mean, we're pushing towards mass globalization, right? We're pushing to, into an era of the Great Reset. And I, when I saw all this happening, when they were specifically targeting um, Russian people, shutting off Apple and Google Pay to, to people in Moscow and St. Petersburg, what, what, what are you doing here? But, uh, you know, when you look at it, in terms of, you know, what, you know, if you look at it through a great reset lens, which I pretty much do everything at this point, you got to look at what um, have they unleashed here. It's almost like an Oppenheimer. Now I've become death 
and people are starting to wake up and be like, okay, so we just created something very horrible. Now, how's it going to be used in the future? What they're doing now is they're showing that, hey, we can mobilize in mass banks, corporations, private companies, freaking Mickey D's if we want to, mm-hmm. Coca-Cola, and then we can directly point that in other directions. And if you think, that, if anyone thinks that this is not what they have unleashed here, this economic weapon of mass destruction, if it can't be unleashed, turned around, and pointed towards you, mm-hmm. you're a fool. At this point, you're a fool. Because that's what they've been building. I mean, we've seen this in motion since COVID. Again, as you pointed out, you know, we showed that we're not willing to, you know, rise up and speak out against it. We're not willing to put up a roadblock and say, no, 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 that's not the way, that's, that's against the Constitution, that's not the way you know that we run this country when we showed that we're willing to turn our backs on our values who's to stop it who's to stop it at right at this point right now jason explain to our audience as an intelligence analyst um how do we foster anti-putin dissent within russia by cutting off any means people would have to create an econ- a rival economy of scale to tra- have commit to transactions with one another, to message or communicate with one another outside of things directly under his control. Because that's what we're, we've done here. And I don't understand, it, is there something I'm missing? Is there, is there another factor to this? Because I, I, to me, I, this looks like it plays into Putin's hand. Just like, just like our government wants to blame everything on Russia, he gets to blame everything on us. He's a sca- We're the scapegoat. To me, I think that this may actually strengthen his grip over the people. Tell me I'm wrong about this. No, no, you're not wrong. I mean, this is what the Russian people are good at. They're not good at waging war. <laughs> We're seeing that right now. Um, I think from what all of my estimations are and what I'm seeing on the ground, they don't, they're not operating like a professional military. I mean, what we're seeing right now is kind of laughable, really. And this was supposed to be Putin's like big, like, see how far we've progressed and modernized. And that's not happening. Um, so, you know... It, I think that to answer your question, how do how do we stop this? Because yes, it does go. It's counter. It's counterbalanced to everything that we know about the Russian people. When they are pressed, they do rise up, and they're very willing to endure, um, as we saw through World War II and even the Cold War, really, um, before we started, as you pointed out, you know, opening up to you know Western culture. But they're built to suffer, which is horribly tragic, uh, tragic to say. But they're very good at doing it. So what you're doing now is you're strengthening, you're attacking what makes them strong. You're making them stronger by doing this. You're not uniting the entire country. And this is good. what I'm about to say now is what's been deemed not allowed to talk about. Like, you know, there's no nuance at all involved, you know, that's allowed in this conversation. Um, one of my favorite quotes in just looking at all of this is that, um, you know, tyranny is the deliberate removal of nuance. Mm-hmm. And you're seeing tyranny right now within the media, within the global governments all over the world, within the Biden administration, you're seeing tyranny because they're saying, look, so if I'm looking at this and I'm saying, uh, you know, how did this happen? How could they have stop this before it happened it's absolutely a breakdown in foreign policy absolutely and you saw a shift during the trump administration now this is where i'm going to get in trouble and hopefully not you in trouble but when putin talks about nato look you got to you got to listen to what he was actually saying about nato um why was nato continuing to expand nato is i think one of the only um alliances that exists to combat something that ended in 1991 so why do they still exist? What what is the point of having them there? And as we saw after you know for, during World War One, after World War One, old treaties, old alliances will get you into trouble. 
So right now, NATO is that, in my opinion. Um, I, I don't understand why we're continuing to build them up while they're, while they're why we should just let them die in irrelevancy. And the ironic part here is that Putin is now going after NATO. He knew exactly, just like I did and everyone else did, that looks at these things. NATO was already irrelevant. They were already irrelevant. Trump showed us, hey, they're not even paying their, you know, their part. Um, uh, we had to step in to like force them to do it. We even took out some troops that were very strong uh, militarily NATO countries. We were taking them out of G- Germany. Trump got criticized for doing that when we put them into Poland. But I saw that as something different. I saw that as enabling an alliance structure that we're not, you know, you know, fully responsible for. We're not, you know, tied to any kind of uh, Article Five uh, type of uh, uh, of an agreement. This, you know, they should be looking at some. Something that, uh, you know, can be able to push back on Western Europe and can uh, push back on Russia in the East. Something like, and if, if, if people want to look this up later, there was a Polish uh, military strategist called uh, Polsidski, I think that was his name. But his, uh, his theory was something called the Intermarium. And it was, you know, Poland, um, Romania, basically from the Baltic to the Black Sea, an alliance structure that will be able to respond, protect themselves and respond from on both sides. That was what I thought Trump was looking at to mm-hmm. move on from NATO and do. That, that, that's, that's what I expected. But that's the direction we should be moving in on. Not us, uh, you know, directing these things. We need to take a step back and let these countries protect themselves, but protect themselves with strength. That's what they should be doing. And I kind of thought that, you know, Putin, I think, was probably going to invade Ukraine some way or another anyway. Uh, I don't think he's a madman. I think that he's uh, very strategic, and I think he looks at geopolitics and interests over everything else. Um, and what he sees is strategic depth in Ukraine. He needs it. He needs to get it back. He can't have a hostile country within a stone's throw away from Moscow. It just can't happen. So he was always going to do something in Ukraine. But what happened was NATO with its continued existence when it doesn't even really have to exist, gave him that excuse. We gave him that. The, uh, the foreign policy structure of, you know, the, the, you know, the old Obama administration, which are now all in the Biden administration, they handed him that. And he knew that. That's why he didn't, that's, what, that's why he waited, you know, until after Trump was out of office. He's like, well, they're obviously not going to something more sensible. They're going to continue on with, you know, what is making things so bad. Now I'm going to have to go in. And of course, it didn't help that, you know, the, uh, the Biden family pointed out the corruption within the country. Uh, that gave him another excuse, too. But those two things, the corruption in Ukraine and that we severely screwed up foreign policy with NATO and how they operate in Eastern Europe enabled him to finally say, okay, I'm doing this. It gave him the excuse. But you're not supposed to talk about those things because if now I'm going to be called a Putin lover just for pointing that out. It's ridiculous. Well, just to further your point on NATO, which NATO are we talking about? Because uh, Erwin over there in Turkey has their members yeah. of NATO. He contradicts NATO's messaging on a consistent basis. So including with this particular conflict. All right. So, all right, gentlemen, the floor is yours. All right. Who wants to go first? Uh, I'm struck by uh, starting off uh, early on there, uh, Jason, when you're talking about how easily uh, the corporate sector is weaponized and how that will be targeted against us. There's a lot. I mean, this is so multifaceted. Just on that alone, there is so much to unpack because if we go back talking about you know, Bill Clinton and and free trade and keeping jobs at home and, and ultimately what we did a lot of businesses uh, became untethered from any duty or obligation to the freedom and the principles that allowed them to be so prosperous 
uh, in the first place here in America, the, the free market. Uh, but a free market is a moral principle. And because we have become so untethered from moral principles, now in the abstract, just the, we are now citizens of the world, the, these businesses, and we are now in this sort of amoral uh, landscape. But I, I think once you go there, it's simply inevitable that you end up devolving into the way uh, things have now, where it's instead of amoral, a lot of these corporations uh, uh, become uh, so uh, first greed-driven, and then that's one more uh, uh, layer of decadence. And and now we are woke-driven, whereas all these corporations used to be part and parcel of arguments made against the uh, Republican Party and conservatives. It's it's the flip side. They are intensely, intensely woke, and, and thus utterly untethered from any duty or obligation to the risk board out there. That I think, uh, Jason, when you, when you got uh, entered the military, global politics were had absolutely nothing to do with the level of detachment from the nation state, the wokeness, basically these companies are almost nation states in and of themselves, purely driven by uh, motives that have nothing to do with the health of the whole. They have, to the point where we keep asking the question, I came up in newspapers, and there's a lot of stream of consciousness here I'm going on, but I'm the crazy voices in my heads are screaming out. We used to argue about why are newspapers so dead set on grasping onto an ideology in such a niche group that is clearly destroying their business. And well, because business and profit motive are ultimately not their number one duty anymore. It's not something they don't think about at all, but they clearly are driven by uh, a manner of, um, the, you know, Attila the Hun and the Horde, a, a, a something that cannot be stopped, won't be stopped, must be bowed down to, and therefore... I think the people that the, the, the Ukraine versus Putin is like on the, on the, on the main variables and factors that we should actually be talking about. And what is going down here? I don't think that's even in the top three, four or five. I, I, I think there are so many things, puppet masters above and beyond these, you know, her Kamala Harris is ridiculous. There's a country over here that's big, and there's a country over here that's small. Actually, she probably did us a service by being so ridiculous in describing that, because I actually think those two places occupying a place on the map have far less to do with this than any global conflict than ever before. Am I making any sense at all? Uh, absolutely. And, and I think that goes towards um, Steve's tweet where he was talking about, um, you know, a larger agenda at work here. And, you know, the, the, these corporations, I mean, we've always had, you know, a monopoly that would spring up. 
uh, and usually they'll get broken up or, or whatever. But how do monopolies happen? How does crony capitalism happen? Crony capitalism um, is enabled because they have some kind of interference with the government. The government is in league with that company. And that used to be considered a bad thing. Which is really weird because now, I mean, and, and the left hated that. But what's crazy now is the left doesn't hate that. And it's not just the left. It's people on the right as well. Now it's like they're encouraging it. So now you have corporations that, yeah, they're, they're, um, you know, their they're profitability is kind of out of whack. Because you would think that they would just focus on how, to, how do I make products that, you know, is going to, you know, induce a, a large amount of demand from consumers. And then we'll tweak those products as, you know, we, we hear from the consumers. You know, that supply and demand capitalism. Mm-hmm. It works. But, but but when you get cronyism uh, injected into it, and that's what we're seeing now with ESG. So right now, they're trying to say all of these woke things, you know, in the S and the social, um, all these things, environmental or whatever, and then governance, like how many, you know, women are on, or, you know, or how many women or how many, you know, straight white men are on your board. All of these will affect, uh, you know, like how you run your company. So not profitability, not catering to the consumer. It's these other little things. And right now, ESG is just, yeah, environmental social governance. But it's just a framework for enforcement. That's mm-hmm. what we're seeing right now in Ukraine is they're moving in a very crony way right in league and in parallel with the government. Exactly what we've been talking about with um, with the, uh, the Great Reset. Right in parallel. So they're not, you know, they're not thinking about their bottom line. They're not thinking about doing the, you know, the good for the consumer. And I don't care where the consumer lives. They can live in St. Petersburg or they could live in, you know, Buenos Aires or whatever. They're not doing it. They're not looking at their consumer. They're looking at how do I stay in you know, uh, in compliance with the government that we are now fully in bed with. And that's what we're moving to. We're moving. It's not, I mean, I would say I would classify Russia as like a kleptocracy. You know, we are now, I, I don't know, like, a, you know, Glenn's, Glenn Beck calls it 21st century fascism. And I think mm-hmm. that's pretty much what it is. Mm-hmm. They're not overtly coming out and saying, you must do this. You must do this. We'll let you give the appearance of ownership of your company. But that's basically what they're saying, because if you don't, if you step out of line, then we have this enforcement mechanism that, oh, by the way, did you see what just what we just did in Ukraine? That's coming your direction. And I think that is that was this whole thing was really just kind of like confounding me. I didn't know what seemed off with me in the, in the global response to this Ukraine. And I think that's it right there. That was the agenda that I was seeing now as well. They unleashed this weapon. And now we're all just kind of sit here thinking, oh, you know, crap, like this is exactly what they're you know, uh, you know, um, threatening companies within the United States or threatening banks with it's the exact same thing, but now put in motion in Ukraine. And you saw something on a small scale with what they did with banks and and crowdfunding in Canada. All right. They they, quickly they deployed something similar as well. All right. Aaron, we'll get your thoughts here in a moment. First, though, you know, trying to sell your home in any environment, particularly the one and we're discussing uh, on the show right now uh, can be challenging, but especially in these unprecedented times, Bing. make sure you go in with a real estate agent that you can trust that comes complete with a fully vetted track record of success. And the good news is it's pretty easy to find them because the name of the website kind of says it all head over to real estate agents. I trust.com. Again, that's real estate agents. I trust.com. Of course, the name implies that just because somebody's a real estate agent doesn't mean you can trust that they have a fully vetted track record of success that they won't come in and, and and act as if you work for them when it's the other way around, right? That's why just about anywhere you want to move to or from, make sure you go in with an agent you can trust and you'll find them at realestateagentsitrust.com. I'll ask my question and, and the time being what it is, we'll uh, have time probably to, to answer it. 
<clears throat> on the backside of this break. But Jason, laying out what you did at the opening uh, with your opening remarks, it seems obvious to me that at least for the last couple of decades, especially the last de- decade or, sh- or so, we were headed to this moment with Russia. We were headed, any, any even-keeled, honest observer could have seen because of actions that you described, we were heading towards this moment with Russia. But with this invasion in particular over the last couple of months, I've seen our Congress, Greenlight, Nord Stream, things like that. Were our foreign policy leaders, do you believe that they were genuinely caught off guard by this invasion, this conflict? Do you think that they were genuinely caught off guard And if so, what does that tell you about how they see the world? Or do you think that this was not a surprise to them? And what does that tell us? If you kind of catch my drift here. Because I think the answers to those questions uh, will be revealing of what's really at stake and what's really going on with this conflict. Those Those are great questions. Jason, we'll give you a few minutes here during the break to think about them. And then we will continue when we return here. Uh, on our Monday Town Hall, it is our roundtable discussing Ukraine. But as you can tell, there's no way to not have it get into what's going on here domestically, too, because it's pretty much uh, more of even a domestic political issue than even a foreign policy one from our country's perspective. We'll continue here in a moment. Well, if what happened in Canada with the trucker convoy has taught us anything, it is that uh, we are infinitely more powerful when we stick together. And that goes for supporting businesses that uh, that love our way of life and, and want to preserve it along the lines of what we were just discussing here on our Monday Town Hall roundtable conversation on Ukraine, a bunch of corporate America aligned against traditional American interests, which is why when you have an opportunity to support a company that is aligned with traditional Americana and traditional American interests, take full advantage of it. And the good news is, because you don't have a lot of those places these days, but one of them is with the kind of business almost all of us need to access to thrive in modern America. That's a mobile phone. Check out our friends at Patriot Mobile. You'll get the same coverage you get from everybody else without directly funding the everybody else that hates you. If you're a veteran or first responder, let them know. They'll give you bigger discounts as a way of saying thank you for your service. They've got specials going on all the time right now. Get a free activation code with the offer code Steve, my first name, when you go to patriotmobile.com slash Steve. Once more, patriotmobile.com slash Steve, or you can just call them at 972-PATRIOT. All right, so we're back here. Jason Butchel from uh, Glenn Beck uh, and also former intelligence uh, researcher and analyst. He's with us for this roundtable conversation. Uh, just to restate your question, Aaron, basically what you want to know is, were, were was the Great Reset crowd in the West, Correct. were they blindsided by Putin invading Ukraine? And if so, what does that tell us about them? And were they not? And if, and if so, what does that tell us about Correct. them? Right? Correct. All right, so Jason, you've had a few minutes to think about it. What say you? I, I don't. I actually don't. I don't think they were blindsided about it. I, I think that there's a, a, a multiple factors that have, have led up to it. Mostly, it's just incompetence, and it's a complete reversal of you know what the United States is really about. Um, the United States was never meant to be a world police. 
Um, we were never meant to be a lone superpower dominating the world. We, we, that, 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 that's not us. But after World War II, World War II changed everything. After World War II, we continued to act like, you know, there was, well, and, you know, in a sense, I guess maybe you can give them a little bit of a, you know, of an excuse because we, we were supposed to stop international communism. That was the point of it. And that's how you could have um, allies that really don't have, you know, interests that are completely in line with each other. Uh, you know, some of those Western and Eastern or Western uh, European countries, you know, you know, Germany and France and, you know, Italy, all of our, 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 our interests don't really align, but they were completely aligned in stopping the spread of international communism. You know, no, no Western democracy wanted to be or federalist nation wanted to be, you know, uh, didn't want to be communist. So we fought hard against it. Well, the problem was, and, and Russia saw this after their breakup and then, you know, then the Yugoslav wars, we didn't consult them at all. And that showed them, and that was a big turning point for them, that we didn't consider them partners with, in, in, in any of this. We still considered them an enemy. And so they still acted as such. Now, I think there was a point to where they just realized that Russia was never going to play ball. So we had to continue this you know, strategy of capitulation. We were going to bend them regardless of what they wanted to do. Mm -hmm. And I think the great resetters knew this and they saw a showdown that you know, was going to eventually come between other rogue nations like Russia, China, whatever. But their nuclear bomb was not a nuclear weapon anymore it was a weapon of mass destruction but it was going to be economic and it was going to be economic with this enforcement system like esg that they could deploy and nations wouldn't really have you know any way to you know to do with it that you mentioned the Nord Stream uh, 2 thing which I also thought was really interesting and it's also a, I think a perfect example of what I'm talking about is that you know they had to pretty much they were, they were kind of backed into a corner and they had to say okay fine we're gonna let you know Nord Stream 2 uh, go ahead because Germany's interests are more aligned with getting energy from Russia they were no longer on our side of, hey, we've got to you know, stop the spread of international communism. It's an old alliance. But they were still acting like, hey, we've got this enemy. We've got to go full speed ahead and, and, and shutting him down and making him capitulate. So that was more, in my opinion, a fracture of the Western alliance in general because we don't agree on anything anymore. Mm -hmm. Steve mentioned uh, Turkey. I mean, do we agree in values or in principle on anything with the Turks? No way. There is no reason why we should be in, a, in an Article 5 alliance, collective military response with Turkey. That makes no sense. So I think that there was a point to where they were like, this confrontation's coming soon, but don't worry because we have this in the back burner and we're fully ready and willing to use it. And answer your question, Aaron? I believe so. So I mentioned this about a week ago, Jason, and a week or two ago. I want to get your take on it just as this invasion was beginning that there's there are two countries in the west who have long standing one culture is much older than ours but us in the russian culture are the two cultures in the west that have some form of manifest destiny legacy within their uh within their culture and it's not even just the the soviet uh seeking of dominion i mean this goes back to uh you know Peter the Great, Ivan the Terrible. This has been in the, the the Kaisers. Some form of you know manifest destiny has been inherent in, in Russian culture for centuries. It has been from the beginning of our culture. And if you go back and looked, you know, we, we it used the Great Reset. We've done this before. It was called the Habsburgs. We did this once in the West. It was called the Habsburgs. But there was one country that basically, uh, you know, 
uh, dropped out and said, we're not going to participate. It was us. And I've always believed the reason why is because our, our tycoons and robber barons at the time, our Elon Musk at the time, were like, why would we join your community of nations when we're printing money here, doing and manufacturing everything ourselves? Now, you guys, you guys, you guys are the old money. We're the new money. We're J.P. Morgan. We're the Vanderbilts. You guys do do your own thing. We got this. And I think that's why we didn't sign up for this, you know, in the previous century. What's changed now is that our corporatists all want in on this now. All right. And and so we're not going to, uh, barring a Brexit level event here in the U.S., we are not going to um, abstain from joining the 21st century Habsburgs. And I think that Putin, I'm not and I'm not drawing a moral equivalency between Russian manifest destiny and our own. I'm drawing a historical situational one. And I think that Putin is now the holdout here for this crowd. And, and that's why he has to go. And that's why I think that I don't think he's the mastermind here. I think he's the mark. I think that they have, they, they absolutely, uh, from the propaganda war to everything else. I mean, I think we all thought that, that the Russians would just steamroll Ukraine, but I did go back and look it up. It still took Hitler 35 days to steamroll Poland. Uh, back in the day, it took him six weeks to go through France after it had been, you know, dramatically depleted for a year of of military engagement up until his invasion. So I think that they had they've they've got they had their narrative and everything ready to go about him being bogged down about this thing is going slower. Uh, the, how fast they flipped on the narrative. Uh, they sw- COVID went away and they put all the same COVID propaganda techniques in place right away with Ukraine. Putin's the virus. Uh, Zelensky's the Fauci. That they switched to this right away because I think that this is an attempt to, on, on, the, on the Great Reset's uh, part, uh, to destabilize him. Because he's a holdout from a, from a dominionist standpoint to their global aims. Am I wrong about that? No, I, 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 yeah, I do think you're right. There's a, uh, there's a book um, from one of um, Putin's trusted advisors. Um, his name's Alexander Dugan, and he wrote a book that just came out, I think, maybe last year. And he, everything in that is talking about how the Russian Empire, which is the word he uses, will be the only stopgap to pushing back against this huge globalist system and the system that the Great Reset. He says Great Reset and talks about the World Economic Forum and what they're building. And it goes right in line with what, you know, Russia stands for. So Russia is pretty much the same as like in China is, you know, they don't want to be governed by like a globalist system. They don't want to live under their their rules. They want to interact with it, you know, with the world, but they don't want to be governed, which I think actually hints to, you know, that's a lot of sentiments for us as well, uh, or at least the sane people within the country. They don't want to be ruled by this global system. We just want to take care of our and mind our own business. But right now you're seeing nations that are coming together that are willing to push back on this like china um the 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 china russia thing it's 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 it's, they're odd bedfellows they really are because they have competing interests in multiple ways Mm -hmm. so i don't see them as being and we've played off of those competing interests successfully in past eras historically yeah exactly yeah and very well that's that 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 will come to a head again history will repeat off off of that i have no doubt but keep an eye on what how that develops because the news i think it was this morning or yesterday broke that russia had actually reached out to uh, China to offer military support. So you're seeing 
not just one nuclear nation that's signing off on this, you know, Russia, but if you also have China coming in, you're starting to see an axis, sorry to use that word, come together on this global pushback, you know, against the uh, against this globalist Great Reset agenda. But I, you know, I... It's so hard to talk about, you know, you, you talk about Russian Manifest Destiny. I think that's actually absolutely Im, Im, embedded in a Russian, the Russian soul. I actually do believe that. I went to Russia, I want to say like seven, eight years ago, and I was blown away after I did a trip or a tour through the Kremlin. And yeah, there's some government buildings. Some of them even still have the hammer and sickle on them. But the majority of the tour is a tour as a trip of about five or six churches that are inside the Kremlin. Now, Soviet Union was not religious at all, mm-hmm. even though they knew to turn that on when they wanted to. Um, and that's how Russians, I think, view their manifest destiny. So you have like the hardliners like Putin that some people were trying to call him this religious, you know, he's in a fight for Christendom. He's, oh, come on, give me a break. The, the guy's a murderer. I don't think personally that he believes that. I think that he's very, very, he, his religion is geopolitics. He sees a goal that he has to do, take military to, to ensure the you know security of his country. That's what he's going for. But they're smart enough, as they have, you know, ever since, you know, the Russian Empire leaders of the time, uh, you know, that you mentioned before, to turn on that nationalism because they know that that's in the Russian soul. So they'll go after it fully nationalized with thinking that is what they're doing, but they're being manipulated at the top by their leaders, which I guess is <laughs> which is pretty similar <laughs> sounds, for sounds, every country familiar. in the world. Yeah. Sounds familiar. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I want to get final thoughts from everybody right after I tell you about Rough Greens. If you're a dog owner, you know, taking care of your pet means more than just giving it food and water. You care about that little thing, and it's a member of your family. So its health and its happiness is important to you. That's why you want to restore to its diet all the vitamins, minerals, and nutrients that were stripped out the minute that that food you buy them at the store ever left the factory. For the same reason they do it to our food. They want it to be mass-produced, long shelf life at all these big box stores that we shop at. And that can't happen with all that fresh stuff in there. So they take it out. That's why we then have to supplement it by buying these things as supplements to put back in our diet. And now we have to do it for our pets too. And thankfully there is one with our friends at Rough Greens. It's a supplement powder you mix in with the food they love. And if my dog Cap is any indication, they're going to love it even more. But maybe you're not sure. Good news. We'll give you the first bag to try that 14-day jump start for two weeks. We'll give you that first bag to try for free. You just pay for the shipping, but the bag is on us to see if you don't see a difference in your pet in two weeks or less. When you go to roughgreens.com, R-U-F-F for roughgreens.com, or you can call them at 833-ROUGHDOG. All right, here's the final question we've got about what here? Three and a half minutes. All right, so about a minute for each of you to answer. I predicted on Friday, uh, at the end of the day's group, that by the time we had the next day's group on March the 25th, because we're off this Friday, that you that Ukraine would either be completely under Russian control or there would be some pro-Russia ceasefire reached by that period of time. Jason, I'll start with you. Do you agree or disagree with that, and why? By which date? March 25th, so two weeks from Friday. That's pretty close uh, because they'll Russia will eventually just overwhelm the Ukrainian forces and then will encircle you, uh, cities like Kiev and then they're going to be looking at a Grozny situation, which is absolute or Grozny or Aleppo, which is total bombardment and leveling the city. I think Russia will get to that point. The Ukrainians know that he will 
go to that point. So I think that they'll be forced into something. Um, that's very, very possible. And the what they have said that would that the Russians would be able to w- be willing to accept. I personally would have taken that deal and ran with it a week ago, um, which was basically redoing their constitution, saying that NATO and Europe, the EU, won't be part of the you know won't be part of Ukraine, mm-hmm. and they'll they'll recognize Crimea and then leave the eastern uh, breakaway regions as sovereign. I would have taken that because I think that's their inevitable outcome. Um, I think that's it's it's a it's a sad reality in future, but I believe that's the case. Which means they they take a deal two weeks later than they could have taken and just got a whole bunch more people killed and displaced for nothing. Exactly. Basically. Yes. Yes. Todd. Uh, I'll sell because ultimately this is all about how we're being propagandized. I mean, just look at Ukraine. Uh, Biden versus Trump. Trump has a phone call. He gets impeached. Biden is up to his eyeballs and whatever his son was doing there and uh, nothing. So after the reality of war becomes uh, apparent, then it's just going to be a month of um, propagandizing uh, that that moment for whatever reasons they have. So I think it's it's not going to end in a month. Believe well, I agreed with this prediction on Friday, but have a, after having this conversation now, I I would disagree because I do not see I don't see what the win is in that scenario for the Great Reset crowd. I don't know what that win looks like. It's I mean, you got your pants pulled down by Putin. So just on that, I hope I'm wrong. Because regardless of what you think, people are being displaced and killed uh, needlessly in this conflict. I hope I'm wrong, but I don't see what... I mean, tell me what the win is for the Great Reset under that scenario. Ukraine has a name as a sovereign country, and Putin doesn't have complete autonomous control of it. It just didn't absorb at all. So there is still some remnant there that they can operate with their little kleptocracy under the or corruptocracy under under the table, but it's not completely gone from a map. But that's a good and question. The crime has been done. The crime has been done. So mm-hmm. they can continue to pummel Ukraine indefinitely now. They can't take it back. So regardless of if there's a deal, that economic weapon is mass destruction continues. Yeah. Not only just to show what they can do, but to completely pull them down to, and capitulate them. Period. So I see it as a win-win either way for them. Jason, good stuff, man. Appreciate you doing this. I asked you on short notice and appreciate you coming in and offering your expertise on the conversation. Really do. Thank you, man. You bet, brother. Let's do it again. You bet. Take care. Jason Butchell. Um, any final thoughts on today's show? I, I don't foresee a scenario where there is an outright defeat of Vladimir Putin. Oh, no way. No way. No way. Um, he can't because he can't afford one. That would essentially just be, you know, I got to quadruple my security for myself overnight if that were to happen, right? Yes. Yeah, so I don't see a defeat for him either way. I guess that was the final word then. You got it. All right, John 317, we'll see you tomorrow. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.